0: I was not putting a P anywhere near this area. No, for the audio, Meg uh just pointed her whole face region. <laughs> whole yes. this mm-hmm. area face. <laughs> no hole and <entry>. no P <laughs>
1: near face. Hello, and welcome to Holy Ghosting Podcast. I'm Lindsay. I attend an Episcopal church in Portland, Oregon, and I like Jesus, but not most of his followers.
0: Hi, and I'm Meg, and I am starting to figure things out, but really just through fear and trembling.
2: And I'm Sarai, and I consider myself a holy whore, and I am no longer a Christian, but that's fine. Totally. Thank you. Thank you for the information. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about probably our first episode of Infinity episodes about purity culture. The focus that I'm really interested in today is how does purity culture affect women in particular and men in our susceptibility to being abused? Uh, So, just a quick kind of content heads up for folks who might be sensitive to some of these topics. We will be dipping into some spiritual and sexual abuse conversation likely bringing up some sexual assault and rape, other kinds of abuse. And I am going to talk about the Bible a little bit today. So if you love the Bible too much to hear me say stuff about it, or if you really don't like the Bible and you don't want to ever hear another Bible verse ever, then, you know, just skip those parts. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, this is about purity culture, which inherently is gendered and binary. And it is absolutely extremely heteronormative and unapologetically so. So we're going to be talking about men and women uh, in that context. And at some point, we'll have to talk to some folks who identify in different ways, uh, gender-wise, and understand what their experience was growing up in purity culture.
0: But here we are. Here we are, racist women ready to talk about how harmful (laughs) being a virgin was for us heteronormativity guys you can't change who yeah. we are god made us this way god made us this women okay so it's true he
2: made us to
0: bear children That's
2: right. yeah and to bear the guilt of all sin for yeah. all the ages so he did us dirty it's been a hard time for women <laughs> uh for a while <laughs> so i'm curious to hear from you two If you were to think back about the cornerstone kind of principle, the main thing that you think of when you think about purity culture and how that was part of your life and your experience growing up, what would you say that cornerstone might be for you?
0: Gosh, it's so tough. You're asking Um, me to like whittle it down to one. Yeah, yeah. Do you have something that comes to mind?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really just that concept of just like, saving yourself from for someone and if you didn't that you were tarnished and you were dirty and you were to be discarded you know like i think that it was just this i had this idea of what sex was and it wasn't a, it wasn't fun you know and it it was terrifying cuz it was like if you do this thing like you are broken I, I mean if you do it before marriage obviously after marriage then it's like all no one ever has problems <laughs> with sex and marriage so
2: not according to the youth pastors i knew back then who were married also not was according just- to a married person who has had plenty my husband and i argue about sex all the time so <laughs> i
1: was like oh we have different tastes in what we want to do and it's not all like perfect and easy and like god didn't just shine upon our sex life and make it the best thing ever
0: weird magical yeah <laughs> why why god Why on my wedding night was it like maybe more traumatizing than it would have been if I hadn't been a virgin on my wedding night? I think for me, it was similar. I think that purity culture was always something. It was was that good girl idea. And I I think for me at a really, I would even say pre-puberty, I think I had a promise ring Um, for those of you that don't know, this was a simple silver band. Um, we did not get ours from the disciple shop. It actually was a ring that I think had belonged to my grandmother at one point. It was like a family ring, uh, but I did wear it on my, I know. Well, when you think of your grandma, you don't think of having sex. So I think it made sense that it was like my grandma's ring. It wasn't like her wedding ring or anything. It was just a simple band. Um, and I did wear it on my, Left ring finger, and I think I was like engaged to Jesus at that point. I'm not sure, you know, my young brain wasn't like 100% figured that part out, but yeah, it was a constant, I mean, physical constant reminder. It was like that chastity belt idea that was just visible for everyone. Obviously, when you're 11, you're not married. Hopefully, God help us if. We start letting people of young ages be married, but I was like 11, probably wearing a ring on my ring finger. So obviously it meant I was like betrothed to Jesus. And I think now I realized that was just a really great way for the church, my parents, like everyone in the community to tell boys that I was off limits without me even realizing that that's what I was communicating.
1: Ooh. Yeah. A hundred percent. I recall having one, like a promise ring that I either got like at a conference or maybe my parents gave it to me. And I think the idea was you were supposed to wear it until you got married and then you would take it off and replace it with your wedding ring. Right? Cause it was like a symbol right. of, yeah, that's something along those lines. That's, that's what I vaguely remember. I also got a promise ring from a boyfriend in high school, but that was different. I think that was like a promising to marry him you so were pre-engaged yeah that one had sapphires on it very small sapphires. You so know, classy. To like whatever like fred meyer jeweler or something got a hundred dollar ring or something oh,
0: that's a lot like back in the 90s like early 2000s come on yeah that spoke to commitment true and court- I had- <laughs>
2: yes courtship <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ever have any purity rings. And I think it's because I still don't wear rings anyway. I don't think (laughs) I like them. I think they make me fidgety. But I did have a wedding ring when I was married for seven of the years I was married. And then I developed a severe allergy to my wedding ring. And took it off to heal my sad, sad skin underneath. And then I realized I was actually allergic to my whole marriage. So that was was really, it was warning you, Sarai. (laughs) It was a red flag on my red finger that was very (laughs) infected with that. My cornerstone of purity culture, the thing I absolutely think of every time I think about it is the phrase, do not cause your brother to stumble. Yes. You guys know that one?
0: Sure. Oh, Oh, I was
1: told to me many times. You know, yeah. Discussed. We have boobs, so those boobs. Yeah, they were causing a lot of stumbling, and I couldn't just chop them off. So don't. I don't know what you're supposed to
0: do. I didn't have boobs. Really, I was very lovingly small endowed. I loved it. It was the best. But I still was apparently causing people to stumble all the time, left and right, you know, um, just smiling at somebody, being friendly, which are all existing. things we're told to do. Wearing clothes, walking around. Wearing clothes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Being present.
2: Exactly. I, well, yeah, being in the room with other people, m- many of whom were penis holders. Um, <laughs> one of the things that, I think it's interesting about this is that, of course, it comes from the Bible. So in youth group and in other places, these ideas are really reinforced. And the phrase, do not cause your brother to stumble, comes from Romans 14, 13 through 23. I told you I was going to make some Bible references. I'm not going to read the whole
0: passage because... No, I think you should. I think you should read it to us.
2: I can't because Apostle Paul is literally my worst enemy and I have blamed him for ruining the world for over 2,000 years. So um, yeah. So I'm going to just like paraphrase. Just kidding. I'm going to read it directly. Just I'm skipping some of the verses because they're boring. Uh, So (laughs) this is the verse. First, I looked it up with the English standard version uh, because it's a gendered verse, like period says brothers. Then I like went into the NIV because there was a specific word I really needed to pull out, which is the word edification. And now it's inclusive of brothers and sisters. And I do not remember it being brothers and sisters when I was younger. So I don't know if the NIV has an NIV version where it's new, new. And I don't know. So that's an interesting one. But I did drop the sisters because I literally never thought of it that way or heard it that way. But it was the gendered thing if I was wearing a tank top and my bra strap was showing, or if I was wearing shorts that were too short for somebody's taste, which would be literally anywhere above your knees, like depending on the company. So I took out the sisters, but here's the main part of that verse that we always hear. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother. Do you remember at all what the context for this statement is? i think it was oh. f- like food
1: right like eating unclean food as i recall
2: yeah oh. i think food that was sacrificed at the temple that people could eat af- would eat right. after in right. some cases yeah and that's i think the that's i remembered that it's been a long you time we're gonna start a Bible quizzing competition mm. on this podcast at some point. But Great. um when so, I think Lindsay's I got, gonna get hella points for that.
0: Yeah, so. good <laughs> time. I love that you know that you context. guys both went to Bible college. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask for like, you know, like an extra five second lead time for me to like rack <laughs> my brain back to Sunday school because y'all are in the Bible college era. Like I was not doing that in my twenties.
2: Well, I will admit, I do have a bachelor degree in the Bible. So yeah, I don't blame you for being so intimidated by that. (laughs) One of the things that is true for me and the way that my faith has kind of deconstructed and the way that I moved out of evangelicalism, ironically, was by reading the actual Bible. And so this is, I think, a good opportunity for me to use that same skill to talk about this and dissect it just a little bit. First. Interestingly, the part I read to you is only the second half of the first verse of this passage. And the first half of it is, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm. So it's actually we about
1: leave out that part, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like it's weird the way that church edits the Bible and the way that we learn about it because the first thing that ever happened for me in a path towards some kind of deconstruction was really in high school because I read the whole Bible in high school. I was like, I'm reading this thing straight through and I did it. And as I went, I just felt like there were so many things that weren't in there that I expected would be in there Mm -hmm. that I would find and be like, oh, this is where that comes from or this is where this story comes from and finding out that so many of our stories are actually a journey made by a completely different nation and had turned into an allegory for evangelical American Christians, like the whole story of Israel and what that evolution was like for them as a a nation. And then us being like, this is like a story of my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's all it became for, you know, evangelical Christians. So anyway, I'll stop. I have a lot of feelings about that. obviously. I mean, we want you to feel your feelings. That's great. Thank so you, I'm, I'm all for it. Good. We're here for you. Thank you. Thank you both. I'm convinced feeling, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. And this is where we get into a little bit of codependency, which is kind of like, well, these people are stumbling because you're doing something they deem not good. Don't judge them for judging you, basically, is what I'm taking from this.
0: So is it, don't judge them for stumbling because of you. I think it's don't
2: if anyone regards something as unclean then for that person it is unclean. About food, again about whether or not you can eat this specific food. In our case, it was like if you wear a tank top or if you wear whatever people don't like you wearing that or if you just have boobs that grew on your body. Uh, Then you are responsible for making sure that they don't stumble, but they don't have any kind of accountability on that because what's unclean to them is unclean to them and not necessarily to you. I just think it's an interesting juxtaposition to think about how this pressure is put on girls and young women about being responsible for the behavior other people have toward you. Mm -hmm. This becomes this like embodied thing where we're shutting our own selves down and trying to be as neutral as we possibly can be around dudes because, you know, what if they get the wrong idea? And that becomes our job to make sure that their behavior is controlled even when their behavior ends up not being controlled and then it's still your fault that something happened to you that you didn't want to have happen and we told ourselves, I at least have told myself the story that it's my fault that's happened to me so many times in my life because that's how I was taught to think about those mm-hmm. kinds of relationships. And I'm curious if you, either of you have had a time kind of in your young adulthood where you maybe, maybe got undressed slightly in front of your boyfriend at a... At a, like a picnic shelter, a changing room when you were swimming and he maybe caught some side boob to look at. Meg.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my husband, who is still my husband, uh, also was my very first official boyfriend at one stage, talks about still the first time that he caught some side boob gosh still a thrill <laughs> he, he he will instantly go back to this moment where he's like i don't, like, I don't know 16 and just the he saw and i again i was small so this was not like a voluptuous like Woo! but when you've never seen a young <laughs> breasticle uh It's a thrill. Um, I, when I found out about it, which I don't think he even mentioned it at the time. I think it was like probably after we were married that he was like recounting this like beautiful summery, you know, perfect day where he saw side boob. I was mortified. I mean, the horror that I could have caused him to stumble and probably get blue balls that day. I mean, for sure. Oh, yeah, blue balls are definitely real and definitely your fault, 100%. (laughs) Every time, every time that happened and I would, like, realize what was happening, I was so ashamed. I mean, for probably days, I carried the shame with me that I had caused a penis to get erect, but then had done nothing about it and then caused physical pain to a guy I liked.
1: Wow, I mean... That is some special purity culture shame right there, Meg. I I did not know this about you. Seriously. And again, it's funny like telling these stories cuz realizing that we're all relatively different people and I think you would probably not be surprised that I did not have as much guilt and shame.
0: <laughs> uh, my yeah, high well. school more fun high school experience than me.
1: <laughs> yeah, my high school boyfriend and I did definitely had some fun. I was I was definitely more the like, let's run up to the line. Like, we're not going to cross that line. I was like okay. legalistic in that sense, but you know, whatever. There's definitely some blue balls <laughs> happening for sure. I want to go back to that verse really quick, though, because I had an interesting thought about it. I wonder because the verses obviously can be interpreted and weaponized in so many different ways. It's wild to me that that verse was turned into what it is, and that we all have such a close connection with like causing someone to stumble. I mean, I remember having that fight with my mother in the dressing room trying to find appropriate bathing suits. I remember going to, cause my dad was a evangelical pastor. We went to Joshua Harris's dad's church at one point. And Joshua Harris is the author of I Kissed Dating Goodbye. They're a very conservative family. And I wore a skirt that was above my knees to that <gasps> church. And my dad, I, I was like, I don't know how they didn't like, I just, you know, I put it on and my parents were so mad. Like they let, I got to the church, but it was like, it didn't dawn on them what I was wearing until, or maybe they thought I was going to put leggings on under it or something. Wow. And it wasn't, it was like, barely above my knee. And I just remember that was like a big freaking deal. And I was like, you let me wear this skirt around, like you don't care. It's not showing off anything, but because we went to that church, then they cared it was gonna make them look bad. But back to that verse, it's interesting because as I've gotten older, I sort of interpret it as as being sensitive to others' needs and what's going to ca- like, cause them harm. And in a way, I really think you could interpret it as being what conservatives would say being politically correct to me, it was like you being hypersensitive and aware of things like, yeah, sure, that meat might not actually be unclean to you and it's not a problem for you to eat it, but it's a problem for this person. And so don't do it because you don't want to like upset that person, which I think is a freaking lovely way to treat people. And it is not the way that current even Christians treat people and they would say that you are a snowflake for doing so. So it's just so interesting how verses are turned and weaponized and when you take them in their original context. I don't really know that that's what is being said in that verse. That's sort of like how I had interpreted it at, at a certain point, but I didn't, I didn't major in Bible. I majored in public relations at a Bible college. So <laughs>
2: um, to be clear, my, my degree is in general ministry. So, I know everything about all the ministries. Uh, (laughs) But the, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a really good point, Lindsay, and I think it's a really interesting thing to look at in context and be like, wait, this isn't really about sex at all. Like, there's nothing in here about sex at all. And in some ways, purity culture's kind of focus on sex and sexuality is in a way, I think, almost a red herring. Like purity culture is much more to me about controlling the behavior and like day-to-day lives of women and not as much, although it's framed in this way, about sexuality. That said, I also think that purity culture, because of the stigma behind sex and premarital sex in particular or whatever kind of sex exists outside of your sacred bond of marriage, is all bad. That's, I think, also really weird, because I do think that in a lot of ways, men who internalize purity culture are taught that their wieners are uncontrollable forces of sexual desire, and that it's the woman's job to make them not have sex with the woman. And that itself, too, is really damaging. And I'd say it also does encourage behavior that would be considered I'm going to say it like real nice, but like kind of rapey, you know, (laughs) where it might be somebody kind of bringing more into that scenario than you were really bargaining for than you wanted. And I gotta be honest, I got divorced and I immediately was like, I will not date any Christians because I don't want to deal with their purity culture shit. And it's Mm going to be weird. Uh, so that's sort of where it got me. I'm curious. If you think about rape culture and purity culture I see them a little bit as two sides of the same coin. I'm kind of curious what that connection is, if you have that connection, or if that's a different thing than you've experienced or seen from this.
1: Sarai, will you actually expand on that? I'm curious, just like what the like what you see as a connection, because I hadn't really thought about this before, like between like Christian men and like why you think it is that there is like less of a line,
2: or why they're gonna. I'm super curious. Sure. What I think about purity culture is that it is a reflection of uh, general culture's misogyny and, of course, the structure of patriarchy, which are the entire religion is based around patriarchy in like such a strong way. And misogyny is like literally the first sin is a woman did something bad and now she must be punished for all women must be punished forever because they are women. And so that's a big problem. I felt damaged by purity culture and that I felt like I had to repress who I was. I had to learn to say no to everything all the time and whether or not people respected me saying no, or if the men I was around or with, which was very often the case were persistent and wouldn't stop. uh, Or if they pursued me and asked me to marry them. And I was just like, fine, fine. Because I kept getting engaged in Christian college, even though I didn't even want to marry these people. Like it was a weird thing. So I felt very like pursued, Mm -hmm. felt hunted. I wrote a a blog a while ago, a long time ago, a couple of years ago about um, being the hunted and my experience Mm -hmm. snorkeling and having like a full panic attack from being in the water and not seeing everywhere around me. So that's one side of it. And then on the rape culture side of it is the the culture that accepts that women are the ones to always stop things and have to have a hard boundary and men always push things. And that's like a cute thing that people have thought for many, 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 many generations is how it works. Like women are supposed to hate and not want sex until you know, and you're supposed to get sex from them.
1: And men are uncontrollable animals who have these urges and it's your job as a pure Christian woman to halt that because they can't control themselves clearly, but we can. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So that's, I, that's what I thought you were getting at, but I just wanted to make sure that I understood and listeners understood and all that. But it's funny because when you asked the question, I was like, yeah, I don't, do I have examples of that? And as you're talking, I was like, oh gosh, of course I have examples of that. Like I remember specifically my high school boyfriend and I, we loved music and we were in bands and we met cause my band played with his band and we lived like 30 minutes apart, went to like different youth groups. But then he started coming to our youth group more often cause we were like 16 at the point. So he would drive up and his family dynamic, like his family was relatively messed up. So he just came and spent a lot of time with me and my church. And I remember my youth pastor brought him and I up to the front of youth group at one point and used us like as an illustration Lindsay's the match and Jason's the gasoline and she's you know just sort of like this whole thing like basically I could like make this thing explode at any point but how and he like lauded us as this great example of a Christian couple who's doing things right and of course in my head I'm like well you know we do some heavy betting sometimes you know but I'm not gonna tell you that (laughs) so like (laughs) it was all like on my shoulders for sure. And, you know, I certainly had some of that, that guilt inside us that were being lauded in front. And also like, why would you do that to 16 year olds? Like why would you and tell them that I'm going to make this boy like explode, that it's my, that I'm the match. Like, well, yeah, not a fan. Meg, we, what, what you got on your, <laughs> on your purity uh, culture.
0: Where yeah. where to go? I think there is a major connection between rape culture and purity culture. I won't get too deep into personal experience, but I will say that when anyone, myself included, um, young women in the church dealt with anything that was close to a sexual assault in any way, that the initial Thought is always, I mean, this happens in the legal system. It happens within the church is just, well, what were you doing? Um, What did you say? What were you wearing? Um, I think back on just the idea of having a crush on someone and that being enough to give them permission to do whatever they want from a male perspective. Um, I feel like if... If we talked about sexual assault um, just in the way that we would talk about like a mugging, for instance, I think that maybe taking the sexual part out of the assault for me is like such a better way of communicating about it. Because when you put the word sex in front of something, Mm -hmm. it just it diminishes the likelihood in my experience and in other women's experience that I know that you will be looked at as a victim. You are looked at as an equal party to what happened because sex is between two people and is looked at as something that is, of course, consensual because you can't force somebody, um, you know, sexuality is just a thing we all possess. Um, And so I feel like... If we could have a conversation about an assault in the way that we would like a mugging, like saying he came up from behind or he overpowered me or I was trying to get away, um, not having to just rely on a woman's ability to say no, but to actually be able to teach young men that it is their responsibility to look at someone's body language, uh, her facial expressions, the way if she's tightening up physically. Even if you're not verbally saying no, it's not that hard to tell. Even a child, when you're like tickling a child and they're like, ah, ah, stop. The first time that you realize there is any, like they're losing their breath or they can't, you know, like talk, or it's like give that person an opportunity, pause what you're doing and check in. Mood ruining is another thing I think that comes up with like, This whole conversation of like, do I, how do I gently tell my boyfriend Mm. that I'm, this is my line? Like I'm comfortable, but now this is going a little bit too far. Um, That was always a really hard thing to navigate, especially as a teenager to realize you're not going to just have those like kind of open conversations. And, you know, and I, I'm not advocating for there to be conversations among people where they're like, is this okay? How about this? Is this okay? How about that? You know, like consent wasn't even a consideration
1: Mm -hmm. when we were younger. No, I don't think I heard that word. No, I didn't know it existed. And frankly, sex just wasn't talked about. And so I think the biggest problem is that it was such an uncomfortable thing to talk about in general at all. So I think so much stuff went under the radar because people were too ashamed. They couldn't even admit that they had been sexual in any way shape or form not even just having sex because then to talk about the assault or maybe the problematic thing that might happen or feeling uncomfortable or not liking a thing that happened to you
0: you had to admit that you did this bad thing and so or put yourself put yourself in a position where this thing was possible
1: right, to right. and yeah. I, I didn't even ever deal with much in the way of like assault, but I've had sexual experience that, that were really uncomfortable and that I didn't like. And like even going into marriage, I did not know how to talk about sex with my husband. I didn't know how right. to have a good yeah. sex life because I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know how to tell him that. And I certainly didn't tell him what I didn't like. Cause I thought it would hurt his feelings. And you know, yeah. so it's just like, it just sets women up for failure or people up for failure on every level, whether it be from like rape culture all the way down to just even having a fulfilling sex life with your monogamous spouse, you know, like it's the way that, you know, we were raised to deal with sex is just, it's really harmful.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I I think it's also an interesting one to think about the fact that consent was not even an option. It wasn't something probably any of us thought, well, I do want to do this. I mean, I did. I thought I do want to do this, but I can't. So I'm going to say no always to everything that basically anywhere that there would be a penis near my vagina unsheathed would be a dead no for me, mostly because I was like my mom had kids when she was kind of young and I did not want to do that because it seemed terrible to me (laughs) to like be 22 and have babies. Uh, It was just not my path. So I didn't want to go down it. But But the reality is like. I also never thought yes would be an option. No had to be the only option. And whether somebody listened to me when I said no or not, I still didn't feel like I was visible in that conversation. Like I felt like I had to just disappear into the purity. Like somehow I've deflected your penis. I'm a goalie for my own vagina. And I'm like, oh, no, no penis there. Oh, get out of here. You can't do that. But, you know, you do everything. Else and that's not sex. Like that's a dichotomy where I could suck your dick and you could eat me out and we could like do whatever else, but do not put your penis in my vagina because that's sex and nothing else is, which is also really fucking weird.
0: <laughs> As you guys, a did, yeah. I want to know if either of you had this kind of undertone to th- these things in your mind about the man being the head of the household. I always had this kind of like, well, since the man is, you know, the leader or whatever, um our spiritual head, um, which, of course, my husband is the spiritual head of our house.
2: One quick pause. I feel like the spiritual head would be a great sex podcast title um <laughs> for Christians recovering from, from spiritual <laughs> abuse and purity
1: culture. Also, uh, I really just like a uh, goalie of my own vagina for a title for something like yeah. a book, podcast, this episode, you name it.
2: might goalie be a, cha- of a my- title of a chapter in a book I wrote. <laughs> So yeah, it's true. <laughs>
1: Sorry, Meg. Ba- back back to That's you sexy. and the, the head, the, the head of
2: yeah, the
0: spiritual head of your household and the spiritual head of our podcast. Thank you, Andy. Correct. So I just am wondering if you had any moments with a boyfriend where perhaps some of that patriarchal, like cl- I'm making a claw motion for those who can't see me, uh, just like that clench on you. Did that ever push you to go maybe further than you were comfortable with because you felt like, yes, it's your responsibility to not cause this person to stumble. But if they're choosing to stumble, like you're just like it's like they get more votes than you in the decision of consent in the area of consent.
1: Not for me. I I think for me, consent stuff what got into a gray area more just out of shame and just not knowing how to talk about it and not ever having been told like what lines were okay and what lines weren't okay. I'm just such a strong type A personality. And for as much as I might've believed in some of that patriarchal stuff, I also just don't think I acted it out. Like I'm just a take charge kind of gal. So, you know, I know some stuff like not necessarily sexual. I mean, even into my marriage to my husband who wasn't raised Christian, we both like kind of came from like, extremes and then found like an interesting middle ground. So we're both religious, but certainly not in the way that either of us were raised. But I do remember getting married and being like getting on him about like praying with me mm-hmm. and I really want him to like lead me in prayer. Cause I think there was this thing that I've been told my whole life. There'd be this like center of a godly marriage. And he was just like, I did not grow up praying. I, he was just like, I don't know what you want me Like you can pray. Do you want to pray? I'm like, no, I want you. And I gave up on it after a couple of years. And it's just like, why did it, why was it a thing that I like, demanded, like, it was just in my head. It was what I had been told forever. I'm the primary income earner for our family. Like our gender roles in our marriage are very swapped, you know, like they always have been like, he stayed home with our daughter for the last several years. Like I don't, I just don't, it's so funny to me looking back. I'm like, what was, what was your deal with that? Like, why did you demand him
2: to like pray with, like lead me in prayer? I don't know. To me, a lot of this stuff, the like weird detritus of being an adult woman, trying to figure out how to interface with You know, life and normal things that became really taboo because of how we were raised and taught uh, is, is this sense of like not wanting to make a mistake and not wanting to do it wrong. And for me, that was always a huge part of it. So, like, I did. And I also always thought that like the man being more whatever, closer to God or some shit was just totally stupid. So, I didn't feel like that exactly the like that the patriarchy part of it was influencing me more well, and, and let's be honest like i really feel
1: like most of the women like in church i grew up with what were certainly more spiritual and like uh, than the men you know like you you yeah. were told i think it was easy not to believe because you were told all the men were going to be these wonderful spiritual leaders and at least in a youth group the dudes were just duds they were probably just there for the girls you know and we were all like on fire for the lord and so like having that model of like with this spiritual leader of a man i was like oh I don't know
0: but yeah Meg I feel like I mean once they became adults though it was like to me all of the men were the spiritual leads of everything the youth pastor the pastors like everyone in charge were men and so I just thought once these boys grow up and become men they will take on that spiritual lead thing and for me as a young woman I was kind of like Like in a weird way, like playing that role, like playing the submissive wife role of just what does he want? What is he looking for? Am I doing the right things? Oh, he wants to make out. I guess we're making out. Like I just didn't feel like I was allowed to have a desire, much less not have a desire, like to just say no. And so I would just kind of like go along with whatever the boyfriend I had at the time was interested in. I just knew that there was like a chastity belt. There was going to be no P in the V. I was not putting a P anywhere near this area. No, for the audio, Meg uh, just pointed her whole face region. <laughs> whole yes. This mm-hmm. area face. <laughs> no hole and <entry>. no P
1: <laughs> near <laughs> face holes. It wasn't happening.
0: But did you guys uh, um, create your own kind of like line and like you know we don't have to get into specifics about what you would or wouldn't do unless you're like excited to share. But I was a very no oral. There's no, we don't touch that. It's it's just like heavy pets outside of clothes is still sanct sanctimonious did you talk with girlfriends about like what you were okay doing or not doing? Like, was there ever sexual conversation? Okay. (laughs) Me either. I mean, we just, we didn't talk about it. You weren't supposed to be doing it. So you couldn't talk about it. Yeah. Or you weren't supposed
2: to even want to do it. So if you talked about it, like, Hey, we're doing this. And like, this is sort of whatever, like it was not a conversation that would feel comfortable to have with anyone at all, like whatsoever for so long. Did you put your own
0: standards in place, Sarai? Like, did you say, you know, I'm comfortable at this level and I'm not going over it? Or, you know, how did you kind of navigate that? I grew up as a person with very porous boundaries. And I think that was
2: reinforced by the sense of servitude and the sense of being like, as a woman, even though I don't Buy into the fact that like men are better than me or in char- more, no more or closer to God or something. I still felt like my job was to um, make everyone else around me feel comfortable and okay. And that if, if something was making me uncomfortable, I needed to just like not be so worried about that. So I did only have basically like external boundaries. So the boundary to me with sex was literally. I mean, I didn't do anal, which I know, like, some girls do still or did. Um, oh, as a, no a way judgment. To here? Yeah, yeah, because okay. it's just – it's not your vagina, so it's okay. Basically, I did not have boundaries around how I would behave sexually up to – leading up to – P and B and I'd be like no penises and fiance one was actually like a horrifyingly sexually abusive person to me and on many occasions harmed me that way, including like once I was like I don't want to give you a blowjob and he threw me across the room and then I did because I was like okay because <laughs> if you're gonna throw me and hurt me I guess I'll do that and there were a it lot of times like when I told you had him to make though. a
0: choice right between yeah. physical abuse emotional abuse like or just getting it over with i mean that's another thing getting just it over to, with let's just get yep. it over with and then you'll leave me alone
2: yep you know i've told a little bit of the story from when i was um sexually assaulted a few years ago and i i call it that because it what it wasn't a violent experience except that it was a violence against myself and also um, from somebody else not listening to me and, and what I wanted, and when I asked this person to leave. But because I had had that experience with my first fiance and never classified it as sexual abuse of any kind, I just thought I was being bad. I wrote a fucking song called Head First, which now is very ironic and full of double entendres, including a whole bunch of parts of, of that song being about me being on my knees, begging forgiveness. And it's weird to listen to now because I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe how cute and naive I was and did not realize, like, the (laughs) crazy things I was saying. But also, it was literally about this person constantly taking me past where I wanted to go and then me being the one who had to feel bad about it. And Mm -hmm. him even coming to me and being like, oh, I just feel so guilty and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, oh, sorry. I was like, I don't know. But that idea of if he'll come, he'll go, this, like, mm-hmm. get it over with thing did come into my mind when I was in that hotel room with the guy in 2015 because I was just like, oh, he's never going to leave. He won't listen to me say, I don't want to do any of this, like, go away, just get out of here, like, none of that. Yeah. And then I I came home and my pastor was seriously asking those inquisitive questions like, hey, what happened? I need more details of exactly how this all happened because he just was not, he didn't have it in his mind to understand that someone can be raped like by not wanting to have sex with them, but still doing it because that's what I learned to do to cope or survive or not get hurt. Um, And that's, that's sort of a piece for me about purity culture and why I think that it has made me more susceptible to abuse, like partly by just the nature of not being able to really have boundaries without feeling like I'm imposing on someone else's well-being. The fact that I had to write off being sexually abused by somebody for a really upsettingly long time, like over a year, I think, that that was all my fault and that I was the one to blame for that or I should have been stronger. And that wasn't really the case Wow. Yeah, man.
1: It's that's really brutal and it's it's not fair. It's not right. I mean, it's it's all the things. I have so many feelings about it. And I'm certain that your experience, like the saddest thing is, is I think that like your experience is not outside of the norm. You know, like it is You hear this all the time in just regular culture or whatever. And I think about like, it's not only the church that does this, but the church certainly is very guilty of it. But it's like why, it's also why women don't go to the police. Like we, you know, we're not believed, but just the fact that like you're not believed and then you have like, you're prodded for all these details and they have to like cross all their T's and dot all their I's before they can determine, well, I guess, okay, actually, I think some of it stems from this weird, bizarre fixation on sexuality, refusal to talk about sex, the fear and stigma that surrounds it. And yeah, clearly it's impacting so many different areas of people's life and, and a large one being, you know, women not knowing how to stand up for themselves and not knowing like what is okay, consent never being defined to us or told to us. Like it's just, my hope is just that the next generation like i have hope for our children that we're having these conversations and that that i hope that their sexual hangups are much less you know sex is going to be awkward and it's hard to figure out no matter what man having the ability like being able to have an honest conversation with someone like i would have given anything for that when i was younger i didn't talk about sex with anyone i mean that is the one thing about my husband being raised non-christian is that he's very comfortable talking about sex and the funny thing is is like he wait i'm the only person that he's had sex with and he was still his parents were like go have sex and he was like yeah, i'm good and uh whereas
0: i was the rebel so i
1: i did not you were in that forbidden
0: stuff. fruit stage mm-hmm. Ooh. Hubba, hubba.
1: i also didn't get married till i was
0: 27 so y'all i just was waiting well some of us got married so that we were allowed to have sex because god would have not been happy if we would have had sex and not been married, right. someone some us got of us married me.
2: to someone random that you just knew when they were, when I was, <clears throat> oops, I can't do it in the third person. Literally. I got married at 26, fully a virgin, vaginally a virgin, uh, <laughs> but that was weird. It was weird. I absolutely, if I could go back in time and be a youth group leader or myself and be my own youth pastor, I'd be like, you know, true love doesn't necessarily wait. And you might get weird if you just never actually have sex with anyone. You know, it was just, it's just a weird thing. But I really was thinking a lot about the connection between how I was raised with purity culture as a guide, and what that also was reflected in. So I want to ask you just a couple of questions and let me know yes or no if you've experienced these things in your life in any context. Have you ever thought that and felt like you were responsible for other people, for other people's feelings, thoughts, actions, choices, wants, well-being, lack of well-being, their ultimate destiny?
0: Yes, always.
2: All the time. Yeah, constantly. When someone's having a problem, you feel compelled, almost forced To help that person solve the problem, uh, sometimes by offering unwanted advice or giving rapid fire suggestions or trying to fix their feelings.
0: Yes. We're not supposed to do that. Is that what I'm understanding from?
2: (laughs) Anticipate other people's needs and wonder why other people don't do the same for you. Yep.
0: Yes. Is that not what being a woman is? I'm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm feeling Uh, very um, seen and also very. We are the helpers, don't you know? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever
2: found yourself saying yes when you mean no, doing things you don't really want to be doing, doing more than your fair share of the work, doing things other people are capable of doing for themselves, and also uh, not even knowing what you want? Like you say yes when you mean no, but you also don't know if you mean yes or no because you just haven't really asked that question.
1: I hate saying no because I hate feeling like I'm letting people down or yeah, I take on too much constantly. I feel like everything is my responsibility.
0: Yeah. I mean, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? So I should just do it and make sure that no one else gets stuck with it or, you know, gets like overwhelmed. Like I'll take that burden. Yeah.
2: These are all questions that come from the book called codependent no more by Melanie Beattie. And it's such an interesting book to me. The first time I read it, I was like, aren't these just normal ways people are supposed to be? Like I shared it with my family because I was like, oh my God, this is such a revelation. And my dad and my youngest brother both came back with like, this is just being a normal, nice person. And I'm like, don't you see? (laughs) (laughs) It's codependency. (laughs) Yeah. I just think it's an interesting thing to juxtapose that also. Like, I don't think codependency has meant a lot of different things in a lot of contexts, but the way that I see it is that it is a place where... It is possible to be in a relationship that is abusive, or it's possible to have a series of relationships like that and think it's your fault for that. And because you're trained to try to keep other people happy, or you know, you're walking on eggshells in some ways, if you could even feel this with about God. Like you could feel this about all kinds of things. It could, I felt it about the whole church, then. You know, we might have some codependency challenges, which does make it difficult for us to draw boundaries. And it does make it difficult for us to recognize when we are being mistreated because it's normal for us to be mistreated and to be pushed underneath the kind of covers of who we know we are or who we want to know we are. But that it's really hard to kind of dig yourself out from underneath all of those masks. Yeah. So I, I find that interesting. I recommend that book for anybody that's been in an abusive situation or relationship, not as a way to victim blame at all. It isn't about that. It shouldn't be that. But as a way to perhaps find some freedom in understanding some of the dynamics that are very human and very psychological that kind of come with us because they've been embedded into our minds and into our personalities and our psyches from day one, if we were growing up religious in the way that we did.
1: And I think as parents, it's helpful to not repeat those things, like not victim blaming, but if we can figure out how we were sort of conditioned to accept this sort of treatment, how can we make sure that our children don't do the same? And both don't see women as objects. How about that? You know, like if they're wearing clothing, cool, you know, they can wear what they want. It's just like, they're not placed on earth for your sexual pleasure only. You know, they're human beings, personalities. I don't know. But man, I think just even scratching the surface, it just makes your blood boil. You know, it's just, it's so unfortunate, the fixation. I i don't know that I'll fully ever understand why it's become the thing that is. Like you said, patriarchy, but still it's just like, it's, it's an obsession. The buildup, like like I said earlier in the episode about how that thought of being like tarnished, right? You were going to be broken. And so when I finally did have sex and it wasn't even with someone I was dating and it was with someone that we just had physical chemistry and we'd have a couple drinks and, you know, we'd mess around and finally it just like happened. And then we did on and off for a while and I knew I didn't want to date him. It was someone that I did not want to be in a close relationship with. And like having sex with him, honestly, didn't really affect me very much. I didn't end up being broken heart. We just, I was like, yeah, I don't like you that way, but like our just chemistry is really, and, and, and I've still had the hardest time wrapping my brain around the fact that like, nothing in my personhood changed like you know i was expecting to have this big emotional release i mean there was some guilt and shame for sure a little but i don't even remember it i don't know it was just such a different experience i was like huh Maybe I was like to all these years, you know, like it was just the fact that that was the choice that I ended up making, which was so different than like what I was raised to do. And I have some regrets around it. I did get an STD from the guy. So there was that. Um, that was God's judgment to be-
2: <laughs> That's See, that's culture's fault too you're not carrying well, condoms. No. Like, no and when the dude right. was like I not
1: like condoms I was kind of like oh okay you know I didn't know and was I in birth control hell no because it was a good Christian girl and I wasn't supposed to be in birth control because that meant I could ha- so think the Lord I didn't get pregnant I mean <laughs> 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 whoo but anyways you're not tarnished you're not broken if you choose to have sex and by golly i just wish that i had had more agency about it and i just wish that i had had more confidence in myself and what i wanted and in and that kind of partner and (laughs) that i would have made him wear a condom i do wish that
0: (laughs) i love my husband i'm glad that we are married i'm glad that we have survived 22 plus years together of marriage um, but I wish we had not gotten married when I was 20. I wish we had just had sex. We would have had awesome sex. We were young, our bodies were taught. We were just like, we should have just been doing that. But instead, I struggled for a lot of years in our early marriage to have a healthy sex outlook, um, to have a healthy relationship. You know, I talked about how if we had had sex after our rehearsal, The night before, which we were both just like so in love and so wanted to bond with one another. And yet we were very like, we can't do it. But it would have been a sin. And then the next day I wake up, I get married. We go to the hotel room and I'm just instantly supposed to have sex. And that was such a difficult day. Like our wedding day the happiest day of your life, whatever, ended with me just being worried that I didn't do something right or that I hurt something or like, you know, like it didn't feel awesome. Um, so, it took a lot. It took a lot away from our early relationship, I think. And I would have just had sex, and and that's what I'm going to tell my kid, and that's what I tell everyone is just get a condom, protect yourself get consent, check in with one another, and be respectful, look at people's body language, look at the way that they're just physically expressing themselves within the moment, and equality, I guess. Everything for me ends with just if you can look at the person that you're with as an equal and know that they are not there for your whatever, mutual respect, I think, makes consent really easy, and it doesn't make it A scary thing to talk about. And I think the more I just talk about sex, the easier it is to talk about it. So get out there and. Talk
2: about sex. (laughs) We'll do that on Purity Culture Part 2 of Infinity.
0: Holy Ghosting is a same-team media production. Music by Weep Bar. AP Weber produced the show. We'd like to give a special thanks to Meredith Hawley and Eris Conflict Resolution for consulting with us about our stories. If you have a story of abuse and you're worried about telling it publicly, they're available to help you tell your story in a way that keeps you safe. Find them at erisresolution.com thanks for joining us and if you miss us in between shows you can find us on socials posting almost every day at holy ghosting pod instagram and tiktok